Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. So I want to invite you to go with me to Joshua 3. Joshua 3, 1 to 6. We're going to read our theme verse for this season in verse 5. And uh, I'd encourage you, let's be a church of the word. One of our values is God's word's our foundation. Let's be bringing our Bibles. Let's go old school and bring our Bibles to, to church. Uh, or if you've got it on your iPhone or your iPad, then look, search that up. But I just think there's something powerful about declaring uh, when we gather together, hey, I've got my word and I'm ready to go as much as you need that Monday to Saturday during the week. Joshua 3, 1 to 6 says this, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a rather unfortunate name for a town. And uh, how'd you be like, you know, people ask you, where are you from? Well, what's that known for? Well, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And at the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant, representing the presence of God, of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. In other words, follow the presence. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. And so they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. I want to speak to you in this first message launching this season. I want to speak to you on the concept, the idea of sacred space, sacred space. Now, growing up, I attended a um, Catholic school for the majority of my education. In fact, I attended the same uh, high school, secondary college, as my father. And so I'd walk out of the year 10 homeroom and see a picture of my dad on the wall there just looking over me, making sure I did my studies. And, um, and, and I really appreciated um, my education in that environment. One of the things that the Catholics taught in their education system is the idea of sacred objects and sacred space. And in particular, one of the belief systems in the Catholic Church is this idea of what they call transubstantiation. And it's the idea that the communion elements, when we celebrate the Lord's table, the juice and the biscuit, are the literal body and blood of Jesus. And we just want to say the New Testament doesn't teach that. But when we practice communion in the Lord's table, it's a symbolic act of remembrance, of participation in what Jesus has done for us. But the Catholics promoted this idea of sacred space and sacred objects. And like Catholicism, most religions practice the concept of sacred space. In Buddhism, there is a temple in India where Prince Siddhartha attained enlightenment and became Buddha. And many people go to this holy, supposedly holy site uh, often during the year because it's a place of sacred space. 
In Hinduism, Varanasi, known as Kashi, is one of the holiest pilgrimage sites where millions of people go each year and bathe and wash themselves as part of sacred space. In Islam, Kaaba is a mosque in Mecca, Saudi Arabia, in the shape of a black cube, which Muslims will dress themselves in white and surround themselves and go and walk in prayer. There's even a percentage of people that go to that site that plan on not leaving that site because there's this idea that if you die at Kaaba, you get a direct ladder to heaven. And so there's this idea of sacred space. In Judaism, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem is considered the holiest site. And so when Jews pray, if they're not in Jerusalem, they face towards Jerusalem. Or if they're in Jerusalem, they face towards the Holy Temple Mount. Each of these religions emphasize works, often accompanied with some measure of pain, as prerequisites to entering sacred space. But to understand sacred space from God's perspective, we need to go back to the Old Testament. This has everything to do with our New Testament understanding of consecration. You see, in the Old Testament, sacred space was the way that God communicated to Israel what he was like. Many of the strange laws and practices of the Old Testament albeit very foreign to our Western worldview and our New Testament modern understanding of approaching God, all of these practices were grounded in the need to teach Israel that God's nature and God's character is so completely other than humanity and different to everything else in all creation. And the biblical word that the Old Testament uses for God's uniqueness is the word holiness. To be holy, it means to be set apart or distinct. We see an example of this in Exodus 3, 5 when Moses encounters God in the form of the burning bush. There was no Bible to reveal uh, God's truth and so God had to manifest himself in very dramatic and observant signs and wonders to communicate who he was and what his truth was. And so in Exodus 3, 5, God says to Moses, take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you stand is holy. What made the ground that Moses was standing on uh, holy was God's presence. God's presence was holy and God didn't want anything, including Moses' sandals, to separate Moses from an encounter with a holy God. And so whilst holy includes the concept of moral conduct, and many of us only think of holiness as it applies to moral behavior, you need to understand it has far broader application than adherence to simply moral standards or moral behavior. In the Old Testament, uncleanness wasn't primarily about morality. It was about the loss of life and the incompatibility of the loss of life with who God is. God wasn't to be associated with the loss of life, but rather as the creator of the heavens and earth, he was the giver of life. And so when the Son of God, Jesus himself came, he affirmed this distinctness and uniqueness of the Father as he declared, I have come in John 10, 10, that you may have life, life in all of its abundance and in all of its fullness. And so in the Old Testament, you could be disqualified from sacred space 
if you would engage in certain behaviours at the wrong time or simply engage in these behaviours. And so when a woman was going through their menstrual cycle, the loss of blood actually defined her, according to the Old Testament, as being unclean. If a a man or a woman or a child had a skin disease like leprosy, they would be considered unclean. They were not allowed to come into the sacred space. If someone uh, engaged in sexual relations at the wrong time, that loss of fluid in the body would be seen as being unclean. If, If someone would touch a dead animal or a dead body, they were considered unclean. If someone ate an animal, that would feast or eat upon dead carcasses, a vulture or something like that, they also would be unclean. And so purification after such behaviour or after the loss of such fluids was not only a requirement to enter the presence of God, but a reminder that God is holy and He is set apart and He is distinct and He is pure. How else? Without the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, were God's people supposed to come down and reflect and represent God to a broken and dark world? But as stringent as the laws for entering God's presence were, they were inadequate. They were a temporary shadow of what was to come in the perfection of Jesus Christ. You see, as we move from the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, into the New Testament, which is where we live under the covenant of the new uh, covenant of God's grace of what Jesus has done for us, as we move into the New Testament, God's holiness, His uniqueness, His set-apartness, His otherness, it stays the same, but now every single believer's body becomes God's place of sacred space. God is still other and His holiness still requires that we are purified to enter His presence. But because of Jesus Christ, that purity is accomplished not by your works, not by the stringent observant of law, but by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus has done everything necessary for you and I to enter the sacred space of God's presence. We see examples of this in the Gospels when Jesus went to the wilderness to confront and conquer Satan. The wilderness was a place of uncleanness, an unholy place, and Jesus went to that unholy, unclean place, but wherever he went, he brought his holiness and his presence and his power with him, and he conquered Satan. We see when Jesus was crucified on the cross outside of the holy city, a place that was unclean, and all those who are hung upon a tree are cursed. Jesus took upon himself your sin and my sin, that uncleanness so that you and I could be cleansed and purified by the blood of Jesus. You see, faith in Jesus Christ and faith in his death and resurrection not only sanctify us, but make us fit for God's presence to dwell and be with him and become the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. We don't need a temple to mark sacred space. We don't need to treat, you know, a particular Christian conference uh, like it's like Mecca that we have to go to in order to feel really holy and sanctified. Oh no, your body right now, if you're a believer in Jesus, you are sacred space. 
The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And so the holy presence of God that filled the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and the tent of meeting now dwells in you. You are that sacred space. I am that place of the Holy of Holies. And so if Jesus has done everything necessary for us to become sacred space, why do we need to consecrate ourselves? Why is it that we actually need to embrace a season of consecration? And by the way, consecration is not a season, it's a lifestyle. Consecration is not just a lifestyle, it's a posture of our hearts 24-7. If Jesus has done everything, why on earth are we looking at Joshua 3.5? Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Well, there are a few answers to that. I want to unpack that for you. Firstly, consecration is a visible picture to a fallen world of who God is. You see, in 1 Peter 1.16, the Bible says God calls us to be holy, set apart, distinct, as I am holy, as he is holy. Consecration, similar idea of holiness, is to be set apart, to be separated, to be holy. And so as God is set apart, as God is distinct and holy, so every one of his children in his family is to reflect his nature. Ever heard of that saying, you're a chip off the old block. It's an Aussie saying. Basically says you're just like your mom or you're just like your dad. And the, the poor kid probably cringes at that. But, but it's meant to be a positive affirmation, just like a chip off the old block. Well, every single son and daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is supposed to be a chip off the old block. You and I are supposed to reflect the nature and character of who God is. I can remember several years ago, uh, our family, we were holidaying in Fiji for a couple of weeks and after a few days, one of the employees at the resort came up and uh, he just, you know, no uh, casual chit chat, straight to it. He goes, he asked me, he says, are you and your family Christians? And I'm like, whoa, you know, it's not what I'm expecting in the middle of a, a, a holiday in Fiji and, uh, and I'm like, well, absolutely, in fact, we are. He said, well, it makes sense. He said, I've been watching you the last few days. I'm like, that's weird. And, uh, and he said, there's just something different about you. And I grew up in Sunday school and, and, and just I saw the same characteristics in people in my church that I see in you. You must be Christians. And I thought, gee, I'm glad I brought my faith with me on holidays. I'm glad he didn't see me, you know, like chew my wife out or say something unhelpful to my kids because you know what, wherever you and I go, we carry the nature and character of God wherever we are and whatever we do. Don't go on holidays and lead your faith home. Don't go to your job and leave your faith in this private space. Take your sacred space with you wherever you go. Why? Because you can't divorce your, your, yourself and your work and your, your cafe life and your gym life and your every other part of your life from the dwelling place of God that lives inside of you. You see, just as Israel was called to represent God in the earth in the old covenant, we are called as God's chosen people, the church, to reflect his nature wherever we go. 
Not only that, but consecration is an external reflection of an internal transformation. The Bible says in Romans 12, 1, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, throughout Israel's history, God would actually raise up consecrated ones. He would call people to set themselves apart. The Old Testament and even into the New Testament had this idea of the Nazarite vow, where they were required by their parents and themselves individually to set themselves apart from certain things. And some of the things may seem strange to us, things like not cutting your hair, not drinking wine, etc., etc., not allowed to touch any unclean thing. But these were all symbolic acts of consecration. And God would raise these men and women up. And some of them are people like Samuel, the prophet Samuel. Samson was one called to be a consecrated one and sort of messed that up a little bit. And then you've got J.B hi-fi, John the Baptist, he was called to actually be a consecrated one. And the reason why God called them to set themselves apart from the complacency and idolatry around them is because you can't transform what you are conformed to. How can you influence something if you are like it? We're called to be in the world, but not of it. Some believers are of the world, but not in it. Not actually in it to transform and bring transformation. We're called to transform something. If we're gonna transform something around us, we can't be conformed to it. I remember as a young adult pastor, there was a very small group in the ministry that was sort of hitting the bars and clubs every week, you know, and roll into church on a Sunday and sort of bleary-eyed. And, and initially, their reasons for that was they were evangelizing, evangelizing their, their friends in the bars and clubs. But pretty soon, what I began to see as they came to my office one after the other, that, that you know, they're making poor decisions and, and about their sexuality, sleeping around, they're getting drunk and, and they're making poor decisions with their money and then they expect the pastor to clean up the mess of what they failed to consecrate themselves for and, and, and trying to help them understand. Listen, I love the intention of wanting to evangelize your friends, but you can't transform something you're conformed to. So if the environment you're in is influencing you more than your faith is influencing it, you need to get out and get stronger in God and actually begin to consecrate yourself. And sometimes we think if we just identify with all that's going on in the world that will connect and relate to them, but Jesus was the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Son of God, and there were all sorts of drunken people and prostitutes and outcasts that were very much attracted to how he carried himself, but he did not participate in the spirit of the world. He was set apart, consecrated, fit for the Father's use. You see, Jesus teaches consecration isn't legalism, it's loving obedience. In John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So the motivating factor behind the sacrifice required for consecration is not legalism, it's not duty, it's love. You think about when you fell in love with someone, when a guy falls in love with a girl, it is amazing what they will sacrifice. They'll even shower, shock horror. Amazing sacrifice. They'll go and get a haircut. They'll spend hours on the phone. 
talking to their special loved one. They'll do things that their parents have been asking them to do for such a long time. And what was duty because mum and dad asked them is now delight because the love of their life is asking them to do those things. Amazing love will get you into tip-top shape real quick when it comes to that special someone in life. In Japan, a, a husband, amazing story, who had a wife who was blind, actually spent two years planting a field of flowers, her favorite flower for his wife. Because she was blind, he wanted to express to her how much he loved her so she could smell the flower. And talk about, forget your little plans for your wedding anniversary, fellas. This guy went all out for two years planting and sowing flowers for his wife. I'm telling you what was, you know, could have been very dutiful. I'm never in the garden. But this dude is in there for two years. Why? Because he was in love with his wife. If your consecration and my consecration remains duty towards God, we haven't yet fallen in love with who God is. We don't have a revelation of His grace and His glory and His goodness. But when you fall in love with the King of kings and the Lord of lords and you get a revelation that you're a child of God and that God is your heavenly Father, there is nothing that you will withhold because it's not fueled by duty and legalism. It is fueled by love and delight. You talk with people in the wider community about the church and their whole filter, their whole worldview of the church is about rules and regulations. People don't wanna come to church because they have seen the ugly side of that in the media or, or, or in experiences with family members and it becomes about the duty, the control, the rules and regulations. And yet I'm sitting with a guy just this week and I'm talking to him, trying to help him understand this is not about control, this is not about rules and regulations, it's about love. It's about the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind and love your neighbour as you love itself. And out of that revelation of who God is and love and faith in Him comes alignment of our life and our lifestyle out of honour for Him, not out of duty. You see, one of the things that is consistently taught in both the Old Testament and New Testament is that consecration is our responsibility, not God's. That's why our theme verse and what Joshua says is still relevant for us today. Joshua said to Israel, consecrate yourselves. How many of us know consecration doesn't happen by chance? Not just by luck. I just wake up one day and, you know, if I just put the Bible on my head, all the truth is just gonna flow down and, and all the Bible reading plan that I've got here is all just going to go into my spirit. And No, that doesn't happen by luck or chance. It happens by intentionality. We can't sit in our spiritual spas and cheer Jesus on as he consecrates us. Doing well, Jesus, keep up that good work. You're doing so well. I'll just sit here in my spiritual jacuzzi and I'll just receive it and you just do it all. And Jesus never said that he would consecrate you. He said he would sanctify you by his spirit. But actually, even the New Testament, 2 Timothy 2.20, calls us to consecrate ourselves. Now in a great house, that verse says, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay. Some for honourable use, some for dishonourable. Listen to this, if anyone cleanses themselves, 
from what is dishonourable, he will be a vessel for honourable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Now, the good news of the gospel is God can use you as he changes you. You do not need to be perfect for God to use you. Some of us have this idea that you've got to get everything right in your relationship with God before God will ever use. If that was the case, God wouldn't use anyone in the Bible. God wouldn't use me. God wouldn't use you. We're all on a journey. And so we've got to extend grace to each other along this journey. But the reality is not only does God want to use us, but as we willingly and lovingly partner with him, in his purposes for our lives, that we go on a journey, a detox journey from a mindset that is conformed to the pattern of this world. We no longer are just a vessel for dishonorable use, but we in fact become a vessel of gold and silver that God can use. It's not about comparison to any other vessel as it is about you and I becoming the vessel that God has in mind for us. We have to play a willing role in that. And and even Jesus, the Son of God, was committed to his own consecration. The Bible says in John 17, 19, for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. No one else can consecrate you. I can't consecrate you. Your mum and dad's faith can't consecrate you. Your kid's faith and fire for God can't consecrate you. You and I have an active role in that. And the Bible promises us that if we do the consecrating, God will do the demonstrating. Because consecration of your heart and demonstration of power go hand in hand. That's why the last part of this passage says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. It's like God said to me at the start of this year, son, if you do what I ask you to do, I'll do what you can't do in your own strength. And many of us are trying to do things that God wants to do rather than doing things God's asked us to do. It's not what you do this year that will generate the you know, spiritual momentum of health and blessing in your life. It's what you do out of what God asks you to do. You do what God asks you to do, God will do what you can't do in your own strength. So when God challenged me to get up, meet with him early in the morning years ago and, and uh, you know, really early in the morning and, and make that a daily part of my lifestyle, he said, you know, world-class ministry can't be sustained by amateur habits. If you wanna see wonders, if you wanna see me move, then you've actually gotta commit yourself to doing what I'm asking you to do. And I'll do the things that you can't do in your own strength. See, I really believe that a lack of demonstration in the world is connected to a lack of consecration in the church. God's power is not the market share of holy people. It's freely given by grace and it's activated by faith. However, You need to understand that you and I are a conduit of the kingdom of God and what consecration does is it removes the obstacles and the distortions of the full expression of the kingdom of God in our lives. And so if you and I, wherever we go, are carriers of the kingdom, conduits of the kingdom, I don't want anything to distort or filter uh, something less than God's intention of the kingdom of God in my life. You and I have as much of the kingdom of God demonstrated through us today as we have consecrated ourselves yesterday. 
And I just believe and declare that 2021 will be a year of wonders over your life, over your marriage, over your walk with God, over every single area of your life. I declare and prophesy to the heavenlies that this year, 2021, will be a year of wonders over Numa Church, every location, wherever you find yourself. I declare it, but it'll be commensurate in response to your consecration. You see, over the next 21 days, God is inviting every one of us to upgrade our relationship with Him. Don't you love an upgrade? It's good to get an upgrade. I took my, my bike busted this week, my, and uh, my road bike, and I took it to the mechanic, and he's like, you may need an upgrade. And apart from the dollar bill that he presented me with, which made me nearly swallow my tongue, I, I, I was like, I like upgrade. Everybody likes an upgrade. It's helpful when your phone works a bit better with an upgrade. Often we seek upgrades with our cars, our jobs, our lives. How about we get an upgrade in our relationship with God? And you have an active role to play with that. And so prayer and fasting is that act of consecration that we will participate in this next 21 days. Jesus said, when you pray, when you fast, when you give. He didn't say, if you pray, if you fast, if you give. He said, when? In other words, praying, fasting, and giving are implied acts of consecration for every single one of us who believe in Jesus. What is prayer and fasting? It's the voluntary abstinence of food, not Facebook, food, to draw closer to God and have spiritual breakthrough. That's the biblical definition of it. And so prayer and fasting dethrones King Stomach and enthrones King Jesus as the Lord of our lives. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so just as the seed of sin entered into the human heart through eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, an act of rebellion, so too God uses fasting to help bring spiritual breakthrough into our life and to help break off of our lives strongholds and addictions. Two of the greatest breakthroughs in my life happened as a result of 21 days of prayer and fasting. And we could go person after person in this auditorium and, and many people who have gone before us who can testify to the incredible outcomes and blessings and rewards of drawing closer to God through prayer and fasting and not just drawing closer, but what God actually did in their life and in their business, in their finance, in their ministry, in every area of their life because there are some things in life that will only break when you embrace prayer and fasting. Jesus said to the the, the disciples who couldn't minister freedom to the boy, this kind, this kind of problem, this kind of demon, this kind of issue can only come out by prayer and fasting. You see, prayer and fasting is like a nuclear bomb that decimates the agenda of intelligent evil in your life. The enemy has an agenda for your life, but prayer and fasting sensitizes you to the voice of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit in your life. It positions you to actually see what you've never seen before in the Spirit. And the question has got to be asked, why would anyone deny themselves chocolate? Why would anyone deny themselves lemon meringue pie? Why would anyone deny themselves kebab for all of our Egyptians on the front row? Why would anyone 
deny themselves your favorite food. Why would you do that? It's stupid. You wouldn't do that if you're just thinking according to the natural nature. You do it because you love Jesus more than you love your stomach, more than you love your taste buds. I mean, 1 Corinthians 6.13, the Bible says food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food, but God's gonna destroy both one and the other. What's he saying? He's saying that the meaning of life isn't about your temporary fleshly impulses. So don't get caught up in the temporary pursuits of this life. God's into food. How many of you are glad God's into food? I mean, in the marriage supper of the Lamb in eternity, we're gonna be eaten and you're gonna have a heavenly body, no extra calories, no need to go for a run or anything. It's gonna be epic, right? God's into food. I mean, all good things happen around food, but you need to understand that is not the meaning of your life. The meaning of life compared to what the culture says is not sexuality, it's not how you define your agenda. The meaning of life is to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and to fulfill His purpose in your life. Prayer and fasting sacrifices the temporal so you can touch the eternal. And so over the next 21 days, I would encourage you to participate with us. Exercise practical wisdom, whether it's a partial fast or a normal fast. Make sure you drink plenty of water to hydrate your body. Ask some questions of some of the team. We've got resources in the bookstore to help you. Often the first three days of your fast are the hardest. You start to look at your fingers as edible and and it's difficult. You wanna have a nibble and and I get it. I understand that I've been there. Prayer and fasting is an act of warfare. It's spiritual warfare. So you're gonna feel the, the, the attack upon your physical body just naturally, let alone supernaturally. But you know what? Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. I really believe that this is a year where God wants to bring his signs and his wonders into your life. Could it be that there is a correlation between the reality of that and our response of consecration today? Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.